Welcome to Briefly Legal, your podcast briefing on legal news, developments, and legislation on the go. Brought to you by the attorneys of Crow and Dunleavy. The following should not be considered as a substitute for legal advice. Visit CrowDunleavy.com for more information. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Adam Childers, back with the podcast known as Briefly Legal, brought to you by the law firm of Crow and Dunleavy. I'm here in the crow's nest on a frigid Oklahoma City day here in January. And guess what? I'm back with you even sooner than I thought I would be. We're out of our regular cycle, and that's because there's been some big news that has taken place. Last week, you'll recall, Alan Hudson, uh, myself, and Katie Campbell were talking about the OSHA Emergency Temporary Standard and the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services vaccination mandates and how things might turn out in the U.S. Supreme Court. Well, those decisions came down, and they're momentous enough, especially on the healthcare side, that I thought we needed to have an emergency podcast. And that's why I'm joined today by a couple of members of the firm. And that's going to be Michael Bowling and Maggie Martin uh, from our labor and employment and our healthcare practice groups, respectively. So say hello to everybody, Michael and Maggie. Hello. Good morning. Hi, I'm excited to be here. Well, good. I'm excited to have you guys here. Thanks for joining me on short notice. As I mentioned at the outset, you know, we are doing something uh, out of cycle, but but it is important, really, uh, most importantly for all of our healthcare clients that are out there, lost in kind of the, the hubbub of the United States Supreme Court's uh, decision to strike down OSHA's emergency temporary standard that would have put in place a vaccination requirement or a masking requirement and testing requirement for uh, the unvaccinated uh, was the fact that there was a completely different outcome when it came to uh, CMS's mandate. And so it, it really means that while there's celebration by many on the employer side, healthcare employers have a, have a different consequence to be thinking about. And so who better to bring in than the two of you uh, for those those of you loyal listeners who also receive the firm's advisories, I'm sure you've seen their uh, shiny, happy faces as they've been bringing you advisory after advisory on this topic in the last few weeks as things have been changing constantly. Not only are they uh, members of our labor and employment group and our healthcare groups, but they know each other from uh, from a healthcare setting. Uh, Michael Bowling and Maggie Martin both spent over a decade working for one of Oklahoma's largest healthcare systems and Integris, and they spent seven years together in the legal department where uh, they were colleagues and became friends. And I learned even in our show uh, pre-production, uh, even their, their kids wound up going to preschool together. So it's all led to this, this wonderful place today, which is the Crow's Nest, where we get to be in a podcast together. So thanks, guys. I appreciate all the knowledge that you bring to bear on this complicated subject. So let's dive uh, right in. Uh, I know our healthcare clients, around the state are wondering, you know, kind of what happened and where we're at. So I'll get us started with what happened. Unlike the 6-3 decision that the United States Supreme Court rendered that downed uh, the OSHA ETS, in a 5-4 decision by SCOTUS, uh, the CMS uh, mandate survived. So that is not a, uh, a small matter when you consider that the CMS mandate, by most estimates, impacts some 10.4 million employees across the United States and over 76,000 
healthcare facilities. Um, so Maggie, I want to start with you. You know, we've we've had so much back and forth in the courts over the last few months, but now that we know that CMS is the last one standing, let's just remind our listeners. What is it that CMS uh, requires now that we know that it will be the rule for our healthcare clients moving forward? Right. Yeah, Adam. So essentially, the CMS vaccine mandate requires that healthcare facilities obtain vaccination for all eligible staff. So eligible staff would include all current and new staff, regardless of their clinical responsibilities or patient contact. This would include employees, licensed practitioners, students, trainees, volunteers, and even contracted staff. It does exclude telehealth workers or those not on on the campus or those workers that do not have any contact with patients or eligible staff. But all the other members of that staff category that I listed are included in this vaccination requirement. So this means that these employees need to have received either the single dose of the Johnson & Johnson or two doses of either the Pfizer or the Moderna. So full vaccination with those or go through a religious or medical exemption process, which Michael will talk about a little bit more here in a second. In addition to having all of these employees vaccinated, the facilities need to ensure that they have policies and procedures in place to address, first of all, tracking vaccination status of all of their eligible staff, um, ensuring that they have boosters recorded for this staff should they get boosters, ensuring that they have a policy and procedure in place for how they will handle the religious and medical exemptions. These policies and procedures are important, and I've harped on them, I know, already, but even in our advisories, because once the state comes into survey, which we'll talk about that in further detail as well, they will expect to see those policies and procedures. So these need to be actual written documents that the facilities have prepared vetted and approved in accordance with their own practices as to how they approve policies. So that list you gave of all the folks that are going to need to be vaccinated, I mean, that's a wide swath. I mean, they've really thrown a, a big net there. And and I note that unlike the ETS, a lot of people are used to hearing about you either vaccinate or there's mandatory testing. There's, there's no mandatory testing safety net here. It really is all about the vaccination and the exemption process. Correct. And there is not a testing or weekly testing option with the CMS vaccine mandate. It's either you're vaccinated or you have a religious or medical exemption. Right. Which makes a big difference from what people have come to understand from the OSHA ETS, where it was kind of an either or situation. That makes the mandate of CMS that much more forceful when it comes to what the obligations of the healthcare facility is. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. I would agree. Well, Michael, then turning to the thing that probably was at the, well, we know it was at the the top of the minds of many of our clients is timing of all this. You know, we put out an advisory, I think, within um, six hours of the SCOTUS decision. And initially, we referenced the the deadlines as we understood them to be. But I understand there was a change literally within a day or two after that. So tell us where we're at in terms of deadlines. Yes, CMS actually issued additional guidance on the 14th of January uh, outlining new compliance deadlines in the 25 states 
where the CMS regulations had been stayed. So that includes Oklahoma. Uh, this is actually a phased approach. So that phase one is at least one dose of the vaccine. And that new phase one deadline for those states is going to be February the 14th of 2022. That phase two deadline, which is getting complete vaccination, as Maggie talked about, full vaccination, um, is now going to be March 15th. So CMS granted a little more than two weeks of additional time to facilities in those affected states. Which I, I know for our Oklahoma clients and, and in the healthcare uh, sphere, they were very excited to get that additional time. Now they get to celebrate Valentine's Day, uh, you know, with uh, uh, a heartfelt phase one compliance that's out there. You know, if, if tax day had come for the second phase and we'd have another really great event to tie it to, but but close enough. It is the Ides of March. Well, see, there you go. I, I knew I knew my friend Michael would find a, a good thing to tie it to. So that's what you need to remember, uh, loyal listeners, is uh, if you're in the healthcare field, we're talking about not only uh, Valentine's Day, but the Ides of March. So that timing is going to be important to all of you out there in the healthcare industry. But then let's talk about the the next issue that really uh, is at the forefront of a lot of people's minds, and that's going to be this exemption process. It was already a big deal when it came to the ETS. Uh, a lot of talk about uh, the the medical and religious exemptions, but I think there'll be even more focus on that when it comes to CMS. Let's talk for a second, uh, Michael, about the these exemptions. Uh, what if anything, did CMS say about uh, the medical exemptions? Yeah, so uh, people are entitled uh, under the Americans with Disabilities Act to have their medical conditions considered uh, when actually evaluating whether or not they can be required to take the vaccine. Uh, CMS actually uh, provided some very specific guidance on medical exemptions. Uh, they reference some CDC documentation, uh, but this isn't a situation where somebody can simply get any doctor to sign a note saying, hey, this person shouldn't be vaccinated. The provider actually has to be a treating provider for that person, for the condition in question, and must specifically address the underlying condition that actually prevents vaccination or the specific ingredient in the vaccination uh, that the person is allergic to. Uh, this goes beyond what if, if you've ever seen a medical exemption, especially on the vaccine side, this goes beyond what most doctors are writing today. The actual guidance from CMS actually provides that surveyors can review medical exemptions. So this isn't a situation where the facilities can kind of just say, hey, if, as long as you bring a note, you're good. They do have to be concerned that a surveyor actually will go in to the medical exemption process, review that documentation and say, yay or nay, this one should have been granted. Which means of the two exemptions that are out there, um, that one seems to be probably the less likely to be used um, with frequency by employees. But let's talk about the one that's um, more of the the, the gateway, uh, as it were, um, and that's the religious exemption. Um, we've heard a lot about uh, the use of the religious exemption uh, since the beginning of this of this process. Let's just begin with a fundamental question, Maggie. The, you heard that when it came to 
review on the medical side that the surveyors could actually look at that information. Is there a similar review by surveyors as it's related to those religious exemptions? The surveyors are not required to review those religious exemptions. However, there has to be a policy in place for ensuring that you do review them in a consistent manner. But the surveyors will not be going in and looking at those religious exemptions to determine, yes, this should have been granted or this should not have been granted. So, Michael, that means there's potentially a a rush then for these types of claims being made. Um, I know that we have talked to clients who have seen at times hundreds of these religious applications uh, being filed. The the test is essentially whether or not it's for a sincerely held religious belief. But as we know, there's a lot of people finding religion that Uh, before there might not have been that same uh, conviction shown when it came to things like the the flu vaccine. So um, talk to me, if you would, about um, the the challenges this is posing to healthcare employers out there. Yeah, when it comes to the approach to looking at religious exemptions, uh, healthcare uh, employers are finding themselves in a difficult situation. Uh, it's good news that surveyors won't be second guessing them. That's a, a one thing to check off the list, which is nice. It's always good to not have to worry about things uh, from a survey perspective. Uh, actually, having a liberal approach to religious exemptions also helps uh, kind of mitigate your liability under Title VII. Uh, if you deny religious exemption, you raise the possibility that the person's going to actually go to the EEOC, file a charge, say you've discriminated against them or failed appropriately to accommodate them. Fair so, point. Uh, you know, that's a that that's nice to be able to take that liberal approach. The challenge, I would say, is that you're not kind of scot-free once you give an exemption. CMS has been clear in its guidance to date that anyone who is unvaccinated, even if they are exempted, uh, needs to be kept out of patient care. So, yeah. So out of the frying pan into, into the fire, uh, you, you haven't extinguished the issue, which I think is a nice segue then into the last segment of this podcast. Maggie, I want to kick this off with you and let's talk about the kind of the enforcement process. Specifically, you know, talk us through uh, how are we going to see enforcement come into play? Is that going to be part of a regular visit by governing agencies? Will there be uh, other events that could spark that? How do you see this playing out? Well, enforcement will occur through the CMS enforcement process, which is done through state agencies, specifically in Oklahoma, the State Department of Health. And so typically this will occur during any sort of regular survey by the state of the facility, any, um, you know, recertification survey, or even a for-cause survey based upon a complaint. So it could be a for-cause survey based on a complaint of noncompliance with this specific standard, or it could be any other forecast survey that the state is coming to review at the facility, which could be related to other issues that have nothing to do with the CMS vaccine mandate, just just typical noncompliance with the conditions of participation. And what are the things that they're going to want to see right out of the gate when they show up in terms of just, you know, check the box, compliance issues? They will want to see your policies and procedures. They will want to see your list of vaccinated staff. And they're really going to want to look at that percentage of vaccinated staff. And so that percentage is going to include the percentage of staff that are vaccinated, plus those that have been granted a religious or medical exemption. And so your goal, full compliance is 100%. So you don't want to have any unvaccinated staff without that religious or medical exemption. Um, So your goal is 100%. 
100%. However, CMS has said that there's kind of a tiered approach to this. So within the first 30 days, if they come in and you have 80% staff vaccinated and exempted, they're not going to necessarily have any enforcement action at that time, so long as the facility has a plan to get up to speed um, and ensure that these workers um, are getting vaccinated. But if there is no plan and you're less than that 80% threshold, then there is a risk for a plan of correction up to termination of your Medicare um, certification with CMS. And so that's just something to keep in mind. Now, one other thing I do want to note, just because CMS has given us this tiered approach, 80% at 30 days and then 90% at 60 days, does not mean that healthcare facilities can still have unvaccinated staff caring for patients. I think that would pose a significant risk if you, as you are gearing up and getting to that 100% compliance, still have unvaccinated staff on the floor caring for patients. There could be a risk there should you have a survey. So that's just something to keep in mind. I think that's a good point. Obviously, a little bit of grace built into this is nice, but it is not a, a license to kill, as it were, for uh, healthcare facilities to kind of, you know, monkey around with the numbers enough where you can look like you're in compliance when perhaps uh, that is not yet the case. And, and, and Michael, it, it begs the question, too, you know, where might the source of these complaints be coming from? Uh, you know, I, I would suppose that, you know, both inside and outside the walls of a healthcare facility, maybe a generation of these complaints. What what are you? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's vital that Maggie actually brought up these uh, four cause surveys. Um, I've talked to clients that really were happy to to note that they had just had their scheduled survey maybe back in the fall, and so did not anticipate seeing surveyors again for years. Uh, when the four cause surveys actually uh, could matter a lot. Um, we've had, I think there's been a lot of discussion, uh, both with clients and in the news, about the strong feelings among those who are unvaccinated and really don't appreciate the government uh, telling them what to do. But I've talked to just as many clients about the very strong feelings among vaccinated employees and their strong feelings about the actions of their unvaccinated coworkers. So I do think employers have to be concerned um, as they kind of walk the fine line of, of really navigating between these two groups that if they're not consistent about actually implementing the CMS regulations, they could have an employee who is vaccinated but unhappy about their approach who actually makes a complaint uh, to, to the State Department of Health, for example, uh, and could generate a four-cause survey. Uh, you can also have patients who um, are concerned about the vaccinated status um, of their uh, caregivers. I've had that question come up. Patients are asking, is my caregiver vaccinated? Are we allowed to tell them? And so I think you have to be mindful that your facility is filled with people who could be making a call about your compliance. Talk about your you know, legal landmines. You have employees on both sides of the argument with uh, reason perhaps to make complaints. You have uh, the watchdog you know, patient who may have those um, questions and criticisms. And then you have the general public who might receive uh, accurate information or faulty information who take to social media to create a firestorm there. Um, all the more reason why the best uh, offense in this situation is is a good defense. Have your policies and procedures in place. 
get your compliance plan together and make sure that you're meeting these deadlines uh, that both Maggie and Michael are talking about. And when you're meeting those deadlines, be aware of some of the grace in those, uh, you know, a little flexibility in those deadlines. But don't take that as a sign that you should be sitting on the sidelines. Now is the time uh, to really get this uh, into shape. It is a difficult, difficult chore for all of our healthcare clients and particularly uh, rural uh, healthcare clients where the number of unvaccinated may be uh, higher than in some uh, urban areas. But that does not mean that CMS is um, granting any allowances there. So all the more reason to be up to speed and, 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 and doing what needs to be done. Speaking of doing what needs to be done, thank you, Maggie. Thank you, Michael, for being hyper aware and vigilant uh, of every one of these nuances of CMS as it has unfolded in these past few months, leading to this critical moment where we are actually in uh, the buildup to phase one compliance uh, and that uh, Valentine's Day uh, deadline uh, beckons to us. Now, speaking of things that uh, we love and Valentine's Day, let me talk about something else I love, which is doing Get to Know That Crow. Now, Maggie has been a guest on this show uh, three or four times. I've lost count. She's truly a superstar and one of our most popular podcast guests in the past. Isn't that isn't that right? Well, well of course. Well, good, good, good. I just wanted confirmation of that. Um, uh, now, Michael has not had the uh, history that Maggie has, and so you haven't got to play my game of Get to Know That Crow. Uh, this is a moment in which I peel back the, uh, the layers of our uh, respective onions and get give you an opportunity to reveal something about yourself that we know that the mind that you have, uh, Michael, and the legal acumen that you possess. But tell us something that our uh, listeners might not know about you. Uh, I'm an absolute Beyonce fanboy. Well, okay. This is not not what I expected. Uh, Michael and I decided beforehand that he and I, knowing each other so well, I, I had ideas of what it might be, but I said, surprise me. And uh, I'm left speechless. You're a Beyonce fanboy. What um, uh, do, are you a part of an official club? What uh, what 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 goes with being uh, a Beyonce fanboy? Well, I certainly would consider myself a member of the Bayhive. Uh, it's not an official membership organization. It's really about the loyalty you demonstrate. Wow. Okay. Um, I'm again speechless. I I, I have caught uh, Michael on occasion um, at his stand up desk um, showing off some dance moves. He's uh, it's actually one of the things I thought you might bring up is something uh, not that well known about you. But now I am absolutely going to be requesting uh, uh, all the single ladies uh, uh, dance uh, routine from you. I've now exhausted my catalog of Beyonce uh, knowledge. So That's unfortunate. Uh, it is. Well, it's okay. We'll we'll do a little trade. You can educate me, and I'll I'll. I'll take you down my eccentric music tastes as, as well. But thank you, Michael. That is not what I expected. But again, another uh, wonderful display of why Get to Know That Crow is a cherished part of this show and a uh, and a fun way to cap off uh, another intellectual endeavor, uh, this time about CMS. So thank you, Ma- Maggie. Thank you, Michael, for joining us today and making sure that we understand uh, these vital parts of the CMS vaccine mandate. Things are going to change. 
change and unfold here, even as we, you know, move into phase one and phase two. Please know out there, loyal listeners and and specifically members of the healthcare industry, if you need help in this area, um, this is cer- certainly something that we are uh, helping out uh, healthcare clients and and members of the healthcare industry uh, on a daily basis, and we'd love to provide that assistance to you. Now we're going to get back on track next week. We, we, this is just going to be a bonus episode of Briefly Legal, but we will be back in our regular slot um, next Wednesday uh, as well. This time we're going to be doing another reprise, and this time on the McGirt case. Um, the McGirt case has been uh, one of my favorite podcasts. Uh, we've done a couple of them, and now it's it's in the news again. And and, and much like the CMS and ETS uh, mandates, it is worthy of further examination. We're going to be looking at it and specifically the impact it's having on the energy industry. So you will not want to miss that discussion that will be coming to you next week. Well, that's a wrap for today. I hope that all of you have a great rest of the week. Please stay safe, stay warm out there, and thank you for joining us here on Briefly Legal.